We're looking at God's generosity to us and then our response in generosity back to him. And let's just review a little bit of where we've been over the last few weeks. First, uh, two big principles kind of cover everything that we've been talking about. And the first is this. I told you, Jesus does not want your stuff. He wants your heart, right? He doesn't want my stuff. He wants Josh's heart. And that's what all this is about. And this, we get tense about our things and about our stuff. And we want to hold it tight right here. But he doesn't want our stuff. He wants our heart to where we learn to release it and let go. And uh, in, in fact, that's why Jesus teaches so much about our stuff and about money is to get after our hearts. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And the second principle that we've talked about in being generous and living a generous life is that if you do not want to give, if you don't have a desire to give, do not give. Do not give. This is what Paul teaches to the church in Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is kind of the theme passage of our entire series. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And each one must give then as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He loves somebody who gives because they want to. And every time in the Bible where we see a major project that the people are giving to, it always talks about those who were willing gave. It doesn't say anyone was forced to give or required to give. It's those who were willing gave. Now, listen, if you choose not to give... Whether it's to our church, if you choose not to give to the church, that's fine. If you choose not to give of your time and your talent and participate in ministry, that, that's okay. If you choose not to give of your time in prayer. By the way, last Sunday night we had a great time of prayer. And we'll be doing that again on February 19th. Really encourage you to be here. We had about 40 of us here just praying for our church. That's all we did. And that's all we're going to continue to do. Hope you can make it on the 19th. Um, but if you don't want to give of that, that's okay. If you don't want to give to the 30 for 30 journey, fine. It's okay. But as a way of warning, as your pastor, let me just say this. Uh, As somebody who prays for you and really longs for your joy, I pray for your joy. Do you know that? Almost daily. Let me graciously warn you ahead of time that if you decide I don't want to give of my time, talent, treasure to any of those things, whatever that list was, you know what? You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. You're going to forfeit the joy that God has for you. Um, You you know, in my, I've served in ministry for over two decades. I've been a Christian for 14 of those serving as a leader in a church. And um, way too often I've I've seen people uh, go down the road of, no, I don't like that. I'm not going to give there. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And It's just okay, because God says, if you don't want to, don't. But then later, as everyone else around them is giving and is excited, uh, they feel very alienated, and they go, uh, they they tend to get bitter. And they they tend to get irritated with the people who are serving uh, joyfully and giving generously. And then sometimes that bitterness turns to divisiveness. And I've seen it over and over in students and adults and older adults. Every age group isn't immune. And they don't get it. They get bitter. So if you choose not to give, that's fine. But guard your heart. 
Guard your heart. Because you're going to miss out on a lot of the joy everyone else is going to have. It's kind of like the kid in Little League. I coached Little League for my youngest brother when I was in college. And uh, there was a kid on our team who, he came to practice, but he didn't have anything to do with practice. He was like Allen Iverson. Practice? Who's talking? What are you talking about practice? If you know that story. But he came to practice all the time, but he had nothing to do with it. He'd sit around on the sideline, didn't do anything. It's kind of, okay, all right. And uh, he got to game day, and he never got to play. Hardly ever. He sat on the bench. He never got the joy of winning. He didn't get to go on the traveling team. Why? He got really upset and really angry. And so did his parents and me. It's like, well, he kind of made that choice, didn't he? He chose not to participate. And that's okay. But as, as, because I want your joy, I'm telling you this. I would encourage you, prayerfully consider participating. Because if you don't, you're robbing yourself, I believe, in a big way of a lot of joy that's coming. Amen? Enough of the warning. Ready to get in to where we're headed today? All right. Well, we've been identifying five types of givers. The first, one, first two we saw last week, Zacchaeus is a beginning giver, and he just, he's on the beginning of this road to being generous. The second is the consistent giver. Cornelius, we saw, as well as some women with Jesus. And we define consistent givers just as somebody who gives, we put a time frame on it, uh, they're just kind of subjective, of one month. It said if you give once a month, the only difference between a beginning giver and a consistent giver is I give regularly. Well, today, um, we're heading on the third step of this journey of generosity. And uh, we're going to look at the tithing giver. Uh, the one who's growing to give at least once a month. And we're going to see Abraham in this role. But before we do, uh, with that as a way of introduction, let me pray. And then we're going to dive in. We're going to look at some passages in Genesis. And we're going to look at the life of Abraham today. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And thanks for your grace and your generosity to me and to our church through him. Lord, everything that I have, everything that we have, we'll see this morning we first received. You gave it to us because you're generous and you're good. Lord, I pray for our church and I pray for me. I pray for my heart, Lord. You, you don't want my stuff. You want my heart. Uh, turn, tune my heart as we sang more and more to sing your praise, to give more and more generously for the rest of my life that, that I would uh, seek your glory, others good, and that you'd, I'd receive your joy. Lord, I pray that for our church. Might we have open hearts to pray and to seek you and then to come um, and participate in what you're up to here. I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Holy Spirit, would you uh, teach in and through me and teach me even today. We look forward to learning and being more like Jesus. We pray this all through him. Amen. So Abraham is who we're looking at today. And uh, Abraham, when we see this, he, he is the first specific tither that we see in the Bible. It's the first time it's ever mentioned that somebody gave a tithe or a tenth of, of their wealth to the Lord. And before we get into Abraham, I want to make sure you have a little bit of background on Abraham. Now, uh, some of the passages we're going to look at, he's referred to here as Abram. Because later God changes his name to Abraham. So uh, to avoid confusion and tripping over myself, I'm just going to call him Abraham the whole time because that's how he's known today. Sound good? 
So Abraham, he was a man chosen by God to be the father of the Jewish people. And it was through him and through his family and this people that God was going to to fulfill a promise. Do you know what that promise was? It shows up in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve mess everything up. They sin just like you and I sin. And, and sin enters the world and everything gets messed up. But only a couple verses after they mess it all up, God comes in and he promises in Genesis 3.15 to provide a fix. That's his grace. It's called the Proto-Evangelion, if you want to be a theological nerd. Um, and it means first gospel. It's the first promise of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. And this promise from Genesis 3.15 then is the common thread through the entire narrative of the Bible. How is God going to keep that promise to fix everything and redeem everything? And that's what we're tracing. Well, he does it through Noah, uh, but Noah fails. And so then he chooses Abraham. And now we're going to find out it's going to go through Abraham and his family. Well, in Genesis 12, uh, God makes a covenant or a promise with Abraham. In Genesis 12, this is right after choosing Abraham. Abraham, And by the way, Abraham was 80 years old when God tells him these things. Man, I hope that when I turn 80 years old, God is not done with me. That he's still giving me things to do, to serve joyfully, to live with a childlike faith like we talked about last week. Amen? Is that your heart? Retirement isn't biblical in that sense. Not in serving the Lord, it's not. I want to serve him for my whole life. Genesis 12, here's what God says to Abraham when he's 80. He says uh, to Abram, that was his name at the time, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to a land that I will show you. Imagine, Abram is 80 years old at this point. He's lived a lot of his life and God says, uh, pick up everything and go. I wonder if he asked where. Well, where should I go, Lord? Where do you want me to move to? Don't worry about that. For right now, just pack, and then I'll show you where to go. And what does Abraham do? He does it. He does it. That's why Hebrews tells us that Abram's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Because he believed God's word, and then he acted on it, even if it didn't make sense. He just did it. And like Abraham, we are sent. He was sent to a place by God. He says, I'm going to show you where to go. I'm going to send you there. And I will make of you a great nation. Here's the promise. He's going to give him a land, then he's going to give him a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. So three things, great land, great name, great nation, so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you would bless others. I'm going to send you to this land. Uh, and in a sense, he, he, God's kind of telling him our mission statement, isn't he? Uh, Abram, you are sent to love people there, to bless them. I'm going to bless you so that you can bless them and invite them to follow me with you. That's in a sense what Abraham is being told by the Lord. I'm sending you to be a blessing. I will bless everyone then who blesses you, but he who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Long story short, God makes this promise. He cuts a covenant with Abraham and God takes on the role of guaranteeing both sides of the covenant, both his side and Abraham's side saying, I'm going to keep this promise. And it's a good thing, uh, we don't have time to go into all of it, but it's a really good thing that God is the sole guarantor of the promise to Abraham to fulfill all these things because in the very next passage, Abraham screws it up. <laughs> in the very next passage. In, in Genesis chapter, uh, end of Genesis chapter 12, Abraham goes to Egypt with his wife. And do you know what he does with his wife? 
he sells her to the, or gives her, doesn't even sell her, he gives her to the Pharaoh, gives her to the king of Egypt to be his wife. Ladies, how would you feel if uh, you, you move and your husband just gives you away to some other guy? You'd be like, that's the end of this, right? That's what he does. He messes up right away. But thankfully, God is going to keep his promise. And long story short, uh, Abram's lie is found out. And uh, Pharaoh returns uh, Sarai to him, his wife. And they return then uh, from Egypt in Genesis chapter 13. And when they come back from Genesis chapter 13... What I want to start to show you this morning is that Abraham uh, really epitomizes a, a tithing giver and the characteristics of a person who wants to be a tithing giver. And we'll talk about what that means exactly here in a moment. But the first thing, if you want to take that next step from, and really this is anywhere along this generosity journey, but if you want to move from being a beginning giver to a consistent giver to a tithing giver, you know what the first thing you need to do? We're going to see Abraham do it here in a moment. You need to count your blessings. You need to be thankful for what you have and what you've already received. Are you thankful? Look at Abraham. He, he counts his blessings. So Abram went up from Egypt. He and his wife. Uh, what a woman. She sticks with him. He and his wife. And all that he had. And with Lot. And Lot was with him. Lot was his nephew. Into the Negev. That's just the southern part of Israel. It attaches to Egypt, or connects to Egypt. Excuse me. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock. Do you notice that he's very rich? Livestock, silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel. So he moves north into Israel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. The place where his tent had been is where God made a promise with him, where God cut a covenant with him. What, what, the, what the writer of Genesis, what Moses is telling us here is that Abram went to Egypt and when he comes back, he goes back to the place where God made that covenant with him between Bethel and Ai. To the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. In, in short, what I want you to see here is Abram is, is counting his blessings. And you're like, well, where do you see that, Josh? Well, think about it. He goes back to the place where God made all these promises. By going back to that place, he's remembering what God has done for him. Do you ever come back to a place uh, geographically or in a relationship and you just, you're like, I remember how good God was to me here. I remember what happened here in this place. Or you're looking at an old picture and you see it and you go, I remember, I remember that good thing then. Do you ever do that? That's what Abram is doing. He's going back to this original place. He's remembering God's promises to him. He's remembering God's faithfulness to him. He's remembering that everything he has comes from God. All of his wealth, he had packed up everything and moved. All of this land, God promises to him. All of his family, everything he has is a good gift from the Lord. If you're going to count your blessings, the first thing you need to get straight is that every blessing you have comes from God. If you're really going to grow and, and live a generous life, you've you got to figure this out. Everything you have is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. He's just, he's graciously given it to you. Every good thing you have, it's his. And what a good God that he gave it to you. Every talent, every minute of time, every possession, every dime 
It's the Lord's. And he shared it with you and with me. It all comes from Jesus. See, uh, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, uh, for who sees anything different in you? What, What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that wasn't given to you? If you received it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do you act like it's yours? It was given to you. James, Jesus' little brother, says this in James chapter 1. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Loved ones, everything you have is a gift from God, and everything you have is exactly what God wants you to have. Let me say that again. Everything you have is exactly what God wants you to have. Did you hear that? See, a prosperity gospel would say, no, God wants you to have all the wealth in the world because he loves you. Um, spiritually, yes. Materially, I don't, I don't see that in the Bible. A poverty gospel, the flip side would say, no, uh, God wants you to show that you love him and get rid of everything. I don't see that in the Bible either. What I see in the gospel is that God gives everyone exactly what he wants them to have. And then what he asks of us is to recognize it's a gift we've received from him and be good stewards of it. Do you wish you had more? I fall into that, that trap at times. Um, but the reality is I have everything God wants me to have and I need to be content and thankful. And curiously, when I am most content and most thankful... God tends to give me more. Have you ever noticed that? It's this weird thing. Like when I don't want it, he gives it. Always no, but sometimes yeah. All that we have is a gift of his. See, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says this, The Lord makes poor, and he makes rich. He brings low, and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. In other words, everything is his. And on them, he has set the world. The very foundations of the world are his. And everything that he wants to be in the earth, he sets on there because that's his too. It's all his. And so we have exactly what he wants us to have. And everything I have is given to me by God and is given to me on purpose. So if I really recognize that, you know what, if I'm going to count my blessings, I already kind of said this, but let's talk about it a little bit. I need to be thankful and not jealous, don't I? If I'm going to be, if I'm going to live a generous life, I'm going to count my blessings, but if I'm going to count my blessings, then I need to learn to be thankful. And by counting my blessings, I learn to be thankful and not jealous. That's why the first step I'm telling you this morning is count your blessings. See, it's all from God and be thankful for it. You're like, well, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not jealous, Josh. I'm content. Good, I hope you are. I really hope you are. I strive to be. Um, but you know what I've noticed? I've noticed this in my heart and in others, that jealousy and discontent usually reveals itself subtly. And, and one of the ways that I can gauge my how I'm doing today with being thankful or being jealous is uh, examining my heart and saying, how critical am I of other people today? How critical am I of their stuff and how they use their time and they use their talent and they uh, use their treasure? 
Jealousy is most often revealed and thankfulness is most often betrayed in passing comments of criticism. It's when I don't even think about it. It just comes out. Think about it. Do you find yourself making critical comments about someone else? Specifically about how much money they have or how they use their money or how they spend their time or what they do with their talents? Um, Here's a few diagnostics for you to see if you're jealous or thankful. Um, When I'm jealous, I find myself criticizing how other people spend their money. I realize I'm jealous because you know what? At a root level, I kind of wish I had money to spend on that too. So it's really jealousy, isn't it? Um, And when I'm jealous, I find myself criticizing the motives of people who have more than I do. Uh, That's all they care about is their money. No, actually, Josh, you know what? When you say that, you're, you're betraying your heart to realize that maybe that's what you care about more in this moment when you're looking at, at their wealth. Uh, we, we find ourselves jealous when we're just critical of what other people have. Snide comments of how much they have or how little I have. Um, this is important for us to diagnose because uh, I can't really count my blessings until I deal with that jealousy and repent. And then when I start counting my blessings, I go, instead of being like, God, why'd you only give me this much? I go, wow, God, look at all that you gave me. Do you see the difference? And we count our blessings and we're thankful. This type of critique too, by the way, um, I'm going to go off script here for just a minute because I was thinking about this this morning. I I see this critique and I've I've seen this. We're going to go totally off script from generous life even for a second to address something that I've seen kind of pop up in our church over the last couple months. Is that critical spirit oftentimes will come up towards other churches. Have you ever seen that? A criticism of, uh, of their ministry, of how big they are, how small they are. Small churches can be critical of big churches. Big churches can be critical of small churches. We can be critical of, of uh, the ministries they have. We can be critical of the, the facilities they have. We can be critical of the preaching. Oh, it's watered down. Oh, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. It's way everybody's head. And, um, and I bring this up because it concerns me. I've heard people say it to me directly. I've overheard conversations about it. I've, I've heard about conversations in some 110 groups. Um, friends, loved ones, we are not to be criticizing other churches. Amen? That's a great spot for me. We are not to be criticizing other churches. Um, we're to be praying for them. We're on the same team, Right? You don't know the leaders of those churches. Many of them, actually, I do. You don't know their hearts. You don't know their motives. You don't know the people and what the needs are there. Let's not be critical of other ministries and how they go about ministry. Let's worry about us. And let's us seek the Lord. Amen? All right, so uh, that's fair warning. If, if you come to me again, if a few people, if you come to me criticizing another church, I'm loaded for bear. All right? Fair warning, because I love you, and that's not who we are. Now, that, again, that's totally off script, but I felt like it's something uh, the Spirit said needed to be said today. But back to this whole idea of jealousy. In, in truth, um, jealousy is, is, is the opposite of thankfulness, and really it's pride. It's, it, it's saying that I know better what I should have and what I want to have than God knows. 
I know better uh, how to spend my money than they do. It, it's, it's pride. And God hates the proud and he loves and lifts up the humble. So maybe you would try this this week in, in learning to count your blessings is just each day when you wake up, maybe you find one or two things and say, Lord, I'm thankful for this. Just start your day with that. Try to spend, then, then maybe you try to spend like, uh, think of your drive to work this week. Like, okay, when I, when I pass this intersection to this intersection, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to have this in my head and, and that whole time, that half mile, that quarter mile, whatever it is, I'm going to pray to the Lord and thank him for all the good things he's done for me this week. Try it. Develop a thankful heart. Count your blessings. Go back to what he's done for you like Abraham does in this passage. Now, as we keep going, uh, generally speaking, there's two ways uh, that, that our lives approach our stuff before the Lord. There's, there's two ways to approach our stuff in God. One is um, in, with ownership, and you'll see where I'm going here in a second. Ownership um, would, would say where my life and my possessions belong to me. The opposite of ownership, the other way that you can live your life, second thing you can do is you can uh, live your life through the perspective of stewardship. We've already talked about this, but let's get into it a little more. Whereby I and my life and my possessions belong to God, and they're invested for his purposes. Do you see the difference? Ownership, it's mine. Stewardship, it's God's. Ownership, stewardship. Right? Those are the two, the two competing viewpoints and perspectives we can live our lives Stewardship comes up all throughout scripture. In, in Titus 1.7, Paul talks about pastors serving as God's steward of their local church. Similarly, 1 Peter commands every Christian to be good stewards of God's very graces to them. Randy Alcorn uh, describes it like this, learning about being a steward. He said, if, if God was the owner, I realized I was the manager. And I needed to adopt a steward's mentality toward my assets. He had entrusted and not given to me. See, I probably misspoke earlier when I said, think of all the things that God has graciously given to you. Really, it's all the gracious things that he has shared with you and entrusted to you. It's still his, whether we realize it or not. A good steward manages assets for the owner's benefit, not their own. They carry no sense of entitlement to what they have. And it's their job then as a steward, it's my job to figure out what does the owner want me to do with his stuff. That's what a steward does, isn't it? That's what he does. So here's a couple of things that distinguish a steward from an owner. A steward uh, gladly acknowledges that he belongs or she belongs to the Lord. Um, uh, a second one, a steward recognizes that everything they have ultimately belongs to the Lord. But God makes this clear throughout his word. In Haggai, he says, the silver uh, is mine. God starts to sound like the, the birds on Finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Haggai 2.8. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest, the Lord says, is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, including the ones uh, maybe on your farm, are mine, <laughs> declares the Lord. Even the abilities we have and the talents we have and use, they're, they're entrusted to us by God. All of my gifts are given to me by the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 says, Beware lest you say in your heart that my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. 
that you should remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you power to get wealth. Um, We've read other passages like James in chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift comes from the Lord. So they recognize that they belong to the Lord, all their stuff belongs to the Lord, and a steward, rather than an owner, faithfully tries to oversee all that God has entrusted to their oversight. See, what, what happens then is rather when it comes to giving, and as we'll see here, when it comes to tithing, rather than saying, um, uh, I wonder how much should I give to God of my stuff? That's the wrong question. When you're growing to be generous, you know what you begin to ask? How much, God, of your stuff should I keep for me? Do you see the difference? How much should I keep to pay my bills, to, uh, to feed my family, uh, to, to enjoy? Because uh, Paul tells Timothy in chapter 6 that uh, God has given us all things to enjoy them and to have joy and pleasure in them. So how, not how much should I give, how much should I keep? When you, when you start to make that turn to ask that question instead of how much should I give, like the Holy Spirit's doing a work in your heart and you should be encouraged. Not how much should I give, how much should I keep? That's the perspective of an owner versus a steward. So let's, look at, let's keep looking at Abraham and figure out, is, does Abraham have the mindset of an owner or the mindset of a steward? Look at uh, chapter 14. If, if we would continue the story of Abraham, what happens is he comes back uh, from Egypt uh, with his wife and with Lot. Uh, in chapter 13, he and Lot kind of are there and they're like, hey, there's, we got too much cattle, too much wealth for all this land. Uh, we need to split up. And so Abram's like, all right, Lot, you choose. You can go that way. If you go that way, I'll go this way. If you go this way, I'll go that way. Lot says, okay, uh, I'm going to go to the east. I'm going that way. That looks like a good place. So Lot takes off with all this stuff. And Abraham stays here, and the Lord says to Abraham, he's like, uh, great, Abraham, check it out. Get up, go walk all the breadth and width of this land, because it's all yours. I'm giving it all to you. It's all yours. And uh, what happens then is Lot settles by Sodom. He chooses uh, pretty unwisely and settles in a wicked place and uh, gets caught up in their wickedness and gets caught up in war between uh, nine different kings uh, long story short, Lot and, and his family get taken captive. They get taken off to the north. Abraham goes and rescues them, comes back after war, and uh, he comes back and two kings approach Abraham after this battle. Uh, that's where we're at. Look at verse 18 of chapter 14. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Salem is Jerusalem, uh, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he, Melchizedek, blessed him, and he said, uh, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram, look what he does. He gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, uh, Here's the other king. Here's what he says to Abram, the king of Sodom. He says to Abraham, uh, Notice Melchizedek gives to Abraham. Uh, the king of Sodom wants to take from him. Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham sa- Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that's yours, lest you should say that I've made Abram rich. Abram's like, no, no, God is the one who gives to me. 
I'm not going to give you that honor. I'm going to make sure that everybody knows the Lord is the one who blesses me. And uh, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. And he says, let, let Aner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. Uh, what I want you to see here is Abram responds to Melchizedek by giving a tenth. Giving a tenth, a tithe. That's what a tithe is. Now, did you notice how, how Melchizedek and Abram both described God here? Look at verse 19. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. Your translation might say the creator or the maker of heaven and earth. And this, this Hebrew word, uh, kane or kana, uh, actually in this, in this context is rightly translated possessor. Uh, yeah, God created it. Yeah, he made it. But guess what? Uh, it's his. He possesses heaven and earth. Literally the skies and the land. Everything is whose? God's. It's all his. It's all his. And when Abram responds, then he realizes, you know what? That means if everything in the sky and everything on the land is the Lord's, that means, uh, let me think here. I'm on the land. All my stuff is on the land. I guess that would mean all of me and all of my stuff is whose? The Lord's. Because he's the possessor of everything in heaven and on earth. And Abram gives a tithe. See, here's the second characteristic of a, of a tithing giver. You're going to be like, wow, that was deep, Josh. But a tithing giver practices the principle of tithing by definition. Do you know what a tithe is? A tithe is, uh, we see it laid out in Leviticus, and it's this idea of your first fruits. The, the first of what God gives to you to give back to him. And uh, generally speaking, it's, it's understood as a tenth, as 10%. But you know what? Maybe if you're a beginning giver and you're striving to get to that point, maybe you can still embrace this principle of a tithe, but maybe you start with a smaller number. That's okay. It's okay. Uh, but maybe you give something, and, and here's what's going to happen too, by the way. Somebody's going to ask, okay, so when I, when I give my tithe, do I give off the net or the gross? I don't care. Because <laughs> here's the deal. If you start down this journey... And you keep going to become an extravagant giver, you're going to be way beyond a tenth of either one. <laughs> so who cares? Just start somewhere. But, but a tithe is a good place to start, to, to give 10% of your income to the Lord. Um, Abram literally, very obediently, gives this 10%. And by the way, before we get off of Abraham, if we would fast forward into his life, we really see that, that at a heart level, he understood everything he had belonged to the Lord. Because you know what he does later in Genesis? God finally gives him a son to keep his promise. Do you know what he does with this son? God says, Abram, uh, take your son and lay him on the altar. Why does he say that? Because Abram, he's not yours, he's mine. So lay him on the altar. And Abram's got to be thinking, okay, this is scary. He takes Isaac, his only son, with Sarah lays him on the altar, binds him. The text says he literally pulls out the knife to begin to kill him, to sacrifice him to the Lord because that's what God told him to do. And like, I, I picture it like he's on his way down and God says, stop, stop. Good. Now I know that I have your heart. 
And he provides another sacrifice, a ram in the thicket. See, sometimes here's what's going to happen. We get scared about, about giving because we go, I don't know if I can put everything up. I don't know if I want to give everything. I don't know that I can afford to give everything. But you know what? What, what God is going for is your heart. And maybe like Abraham, like Abraham when, when he finally put Isaac on the altar, he laid everything out before God. You know what God said? He said, good, I have your heart. Now take it down. Because you, it's an idea of willingness. Where's your heart? Are you willing to lay it all out there? Chances are, I don't know this, but, but likely God's going to say, uh, take that down. I know I have your heart. I know I have your heart. But that's where it begins, doesn't it? God had Abraham's heart. And Abraham really embraced the question, not how much should I give to God, but how much should I keep? even giving his son. Just like God would later give his son. Uh, Let's keep going though. See, if if I'm going to become a tithing giver, you know what I need to embrace? I need to remember that all of God's principles always work. His principles always work, don't they? Not sometimes, always. They always work. In, in fact, in, in Leviticus, after uh, unpacking the tithe, God says this to the people. He says, if, if you will walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase. And the trees of the field will yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest. The grape harvest will last to the time for sowing. It's like when you plant, man, you're going to be harvesting that until it's time to plant again. I'm going to provide you so much if you would just walk in these ways and give your heart to me. In Malachi, I don't have this passage up here. I think it's in chapter 3. In Malachi, uh, we're actually told, God says, test me in this. Give to me of your first fruits and see if I don't uh, fill your storehouses to brimming and overflowing. It's in Malachi. Don't quote me for sure on the passage, but I know it's there. God says, test me in this. Try it. You know, maybe if you want to become a tithing giver, one of the first things you might do is just give it a try. Try it. Try 90 days. It's the very beginning of February. Go through the end of April and just make a commitment. You know what? I'm going to take 10%. Okay, can't do that. I'm going to do 5%. Okay, 3%. I don't know. I'm going to give something. I'm going to tithe every week uh, for the rest of the month, for the rest of these next 90 days. I'm going I'm to put the Lord to the test because that's what he says to do. Let's find this out. See what he does. See what he does. See, because God's principles, I think what you're going to find out if you do this, his principles always work. And he promises the people here, if you will do this, I'll bless you. That's what faith is. Faith is believing God's word and acting upon it no matter how I feel, even when it makes zero sense because God promises a good result. And he keeps every one of his promises. He has yet to renege on one. Now, if you start tithing and you're like, you get to the end of 90 days and you come to me, Josh, I'm not rich. He didn't bless me with all kinds of things. Okay, well, he's after your heart. And so that blessing may not be material. It may simply be joy. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I take joy over wealth any day of the week. Test him in it. 
And then uh, see one, one more passage here from Haggai. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, uh, consider your ways. Consider your ways. How have you been spending your money? See, when I tithe, you know what that makes me do? It makes me consider my ways. When, when my tithe goes at the beginning of my budget, <laughs> then I have to look at it. And, and I'm going to confess to you, there's, there's seasons where I've done this well. There's seasons where I haven't done this well. There's seasons where I've failed. And I haven't tithed. And I haven't given like I have in the past. And I can see a big correlation in God's blessing and in his joy during those times. But it causes me to consider my ways. He, he says, you've sown much and you've harvested little. You've spent a lot and got nothing in return. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink and you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is ever warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I told you part of my, um, my journey, I told you this last week, of, of learning to, to understand and balance and care for my finances better was simply starting to give. When I considered my ways and, and put the Lord first in my finances, it took some years, but things turned around. His principles always work. Finally, whatever step you're in on the journey of a generous life, here's what I would commend to you. Uh, live for eternity while enjoying today. That's a characteristic of a tithing giver. They have eternity in view, but they enjoy today. You ever heard the phrase, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Like you're, you're sent here for a time. For 60, 70, 80 years, whatever it is, I don't know. But you're sent here for a time to enjoy it, to honor the Lord, to love people, invite them to follow Jesus with you. But don't forget this is not your home. We're headed somewhere else, so so spend your resources in that way. Honor the Lord, Proverbs says, with your wealth and with the first fruits, the tithe of all your produce. Then your barns will be, it doesn't say your barns will be filled with plenty, then uh, give. It says give, and then your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will be bursting with wine. Live for eternity. Keep that in mind, but enjoy today. See, at the same time, uh, Paul tells Timothy that that it's God, when he talks about how to address the rich, he says, um, tell them not to hope in their riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So live with eternity in mind. Recognize this is not your home, but enjoy what God has given you too. He delights for you to enjoy what you have, but honor him with your wealth. That's going to look different for every one of us, isn't it? For some, honoring him is going to be giving a ton because I'm further along on this journey. For some of us, honoring him with our wealth is going to mean um, I'm going to start giving because I never have before. Where are you at on that journey? Honor the Lord with your wealth. I'm not going to give you a prescription. I'm just describing these steps. And by God's grace, all of us will move through all of them. Amen? With that, um, here's a few growth steps you might consider in becoming a tithing giver. A tithing giver is somebody who's giving their first fruits, 10% of their income to the Lord. And again, if you can't do 10%, start with a, start with a regular gift, a percentage. 
Try to up it each year, maybe. I know, I know people who, uh, from the time they were married until now they're in their 60s, who every year they up their tithe 1%. And so they're at like 40% now that they're giving as a tithe. And then they give above and beyond that to other things. It's pretty cool, isn't it? How cool would it be to get to where it's a reverse tithe? <laughs> and I'm giving 90% and keeping 10 be pretty great. But here's, what, here's maybe some growth steps for you in this one. Maybe you'll begin a 90-day tithe challenge. Try it. Try it. Be like Mikey, eating his life cereal. Try it. You'll like it. The Lord, his promises always, always work. I'm telling you, in Jesus' name, they do. Uh, maybe a growth step for you is I'll spend time weekly just in prayer and Bible reading. I'm just going to learn more about how great God is. And how generous he is. And let that change my heart to where I begin giving more. Uh, Maybe I'm going to seek to discover my gifts and my passions so that I can live a generous life by by serving alongside other people. See, we talk about money a lot when we talk about this generosity piece. But really, it's, it's a lot more than that, isn't it? It's your time and your talent, too. Where are you serving? Not just in the church, in the community. Where are you serving? Are you giving of your time, of your talent? Maybe it's just in prayer. That's a huge gift. Um, I got a video here to show you really quick. It's just a minute long. But uh, this week, Mike and Myra, our students are on their winter retreat this weekend. And uh, they've been, one of the things that they've done really well is, is developing in our students a heart for service because they have a heart for it. They've taken them to homeless shelter. They've done some other things. Did you know there's an opportunity in Milford, in Milford, uh, to serve over 60 food banks in a 12-county area? Did you know that? I never knew that till this week. I've lived here for 14, 15 years. I never knew that. And it's, it's only been going for about five, so I guess I have a little slack there. But it's based out of the papers. And uh, there's a man there who just decided after he retired, I'm going to start... Uh, using my time and my talent for the Lord and giving. And uh, so one of the ways he wanted to do that was to try to feed people who needed help with food. And so it's grown to the point where five years later, there's a, a, part, a portion of the papers, a warehouse there in Milford, that's literally floor to ceiling stacked with pallets of food. And once a month, this week, will be, uh, there'll be a line up of uh, 60 different food banks from 12 different counties, from Fort Wayne to Knox to South Bend, and um, they'll come line up outside and pick up food to take back to their food bank because this guy gave of his time, talent, treasure. Isn't that cool? And it's just grown like crazy, and they need people to help serve. Well, Myra found out about this, took our students there on, uh, on Thursday night, and we served. And why don't you just play this video? It's just a minute long, quick. You can get an idea. But think as you watch this, maybe your 110 group could do this. Yeah, 
You know, I, I was talking, um, talking to Bill, the guy who kind of got this started. He said, you know, we really actually need help even this week. Uh, Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock, Friday morning at about 8 o'clock, I think. Uh, so if you're interested in helping, why don't you come find me after the service, and I'll uh, connect you uh, with that opportunity. Your 110 group can go. We had a blast. It was a lot of fun. And uh, you can see we, we got tired of the Wilkinson boys, so we just wrapped them up. And no, they were, they were awesome too. And uh, where are you giving of your time, talent, treasure? Find some place to serve alongside a team. Don't be critical. Get involved. I'll do a financial audit maybe at the end of the year, another growth step, to just see how God has provided for me and see how I'm doing at giving. Those are just some ideas. Amen? Hey, I don't know where you're at on the journey, but I hope you're growing in it. I hope the Lord challenges your heart and challenges my heart over these five weeks. To, even if it's just a step like this, it's a step towards maturity. Amen? So let's be open to that. Let me pray and then we'll sing and we'll call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus and for your grace to us through him. Um, Lord, I thank you uh, for your generosity, uh, both in grace and in uh, time and in our talent and in our treasure. Might we remember that everything we have, we first received. Uh, Teach us to count our blessings, to to be uh, not uh, jealous, but thankful. Teach us to begin tithing if we haven't, uh, to give 10% or some percent knowing that your principles always, always work, uh, that we would receive joy in that. And then finally, Lord, might you help us live with eternity in mind, but enjoy the day that you've given us today. I pray for those who've, uh, who are hearing my voice, Father, might you uh, work in their hearts that they would recognize the free gift you offer to them of salvation. Might they repent of their sin and turn to you in faith so that they would receive joy, so that they would receive eternal life and that they too can embark on this journey of generosity. Jesus, like you, are generous. We love you. Uh, We praise you for all things that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.